podcast one production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. This is a podcast in which every week we focus on something that is going on in the world, a situation that is brewing, that is unravelling, a political nightmare, um, and we break it down. Well, not me necessarily. I ask stupid questions along the way. (laughs) But Dr Keith Souter, who is an expert in the field of international politics and has been a commentator in Australian media for years and years. He's got three PhDs on multiple issues to do with international politics. So he is the man. And not only that, Dr Keith. You're just really good at simplifying it for us to understand. So we also know each other for years of television working together and my background is radio as well. My name's Kate Mack. So today it's actually a fascinating discussion. It is about the unravelling of America, this country that was the pillar of democracy and and the king of the world for so many decades and it's unravelling before our eyes, Keith. Absolutely. So this is... um an article which has appeared in Rolling Stone, which is not my normal magazine article, but Kate, you you, you obviously do read Rolling Stone. <laughs> and I've got to say that in the last couple of weeks, there have been a lot of references to this article. So it was published on August the 6th this year, The Unraveling of America by the anthropologist Professor Wade Davis, who teaches at the University of British Columbia, which is on the west coast of Canada. And suddenly you've got this very distinguished professor becoming a new cult hero among younger people and people like yourself who read Rolling Stone. (laughs) So what he has done is to put together a speculation about how COVID-19 may signal the end of the American era in world politics. So it's a really fascinating story. So he starts off with the idea of American exceptionalism. So American exceptionalism means that America is an exceptional country. Every president talks about America as an exceptional country. Um, It has a providential relationship with God. In other words, that when uh, the city of Boston was established 400 years ago, it was to be a city upon a hill, a light unto the nations. And that mindset has flowed through from the early settlement of the United States all the way through to uh, the American Revolution 200 years ago, and all the way through to today, you know, even Barack Obama used to keep talking about America as the exceptional country. So that's, so Americans, are, I teach young Americans, and Americans are imbued, it's part of their DNA, they're imbued with this notion that they have a special relationship with God, special relationship with the world. What they have is always the best. It's the best, best healthcare system, the best political system. Which is why you get that immense confidence in Americans. Like yeah. when I used to work in television, you always <laughs> knew if you got an American expert on, they were always excellent talent because they were so enthusiastic and confident. Absolutely. Entertaining to watch. And I love going to the United States, or at least used to, because it's like getting an injection of adrenaline. There <laughs> yeah. was always so much enthusiasm there. Now, this uh, commentator, uh, Wade Davis in, in Canada, is saying, look, uh, America has been exposed as no longer the exceptional country because of its treatment of the whole coronavirus issue. In other words, that... Trends that were already underway in the United States and elsewhere, but trends already underway in the United States have been accelerated by the coronavirus crisis, the COVID pandemic. So he thinks that the COVID pandemic will be remembered as a moment in history, a seminal event whose significance will unfold only in the wake of the crisis. 
So in the same way that we talk about the 1914 assassination of Archduke Ferdinand, which led uh, within a few weeks to World War I, got the stock market crash in 1929, 1933, the ascent of Adolf Hitler. Then we will look back in the year 2019 as another turning point in world affairs and particularly as a problem for the United States. So what he is looking at then is the way in which the United States is no longer the world's most admired country and instead is now just engendering a sense of pity. So in the way that countries like Australia, New Zealand and Canada have been able to tackle the COVID crisis, the United States has been very slow at doing so. And you've got about 2,000 people in America dying each day. And basically, America is becoming a failed state when it comes to health care. It's ruled by, he says, ruled by a dysfunctional and incompetent government, largely responsible for death rates that added a tragic coda to America's claim to supremacy in the world. Now, I grew up in post-war London, so I grew up imbued with this idea of America as an exceptional country. He has just one paragraph. I actually give an entire lecture on this, but he, he deal, deals with it in one, in one paragraph. So he makes the point when the Japanese, within six weeks of Pearl Harbor, took control of 90% of the world's rubber supply, you know, the way they moved down through Malaysia, etc. The United States dropped the speed limit to 35 miles per hour to protect tyres, then in three years invented from scratch a synthetic rubber industry that allowed the Allied armies to roll over the Nazis. At its peak, Henry Ford's Willow Run plant produced a B-24 Liberator bomber every two hours around the clock. A single American factory at Chrysler's Detroit Arsenal built more tanks than the whole of the Third Reich. Uh, I might just say that the Ford company overall during the war, had more industrial output the whole, than the whole of Italy. It's just extraordinary that they were that, you know, productive. Exactly it. That's exactly it. Now, if you really want to be inspired, I always recommend people to to read President Roosevelt's speech that he gave to Congress just uh, a few weeks after Pearl Harbor when he laid out all that America would do in order to win World War II in terms of production. And all of those targets in terms of warships, etc. Uh, were, were actually exceeded. But his audience at the time was amazed. No one had ever built that much military equipment and America exceeded all of those targets. As I say, I give this uh, lecture each year on um, World War II mobilisation of the United States. If people want to read more, I recommend Doris Cairns Goodwin's book, No Ordinary Time, which has a variety of things. Kaiser Shipbuilding Company, for example, became the largest uh, childcare organisation in the world. So the men went off to war. The women were recruited to build ships. Remember Rosie the Riveter scan, uh, saga, all that? Well, they, what are they going to do with the children? So Kaiser said, all right, you work in the factory. We'll provide the childcare facilities. So the childcare facilities were built with glass running along the walls so the kiddies can look at their mothers at work. This is unbelievable what happened in the United States between 1941 or before 1942, strictly, and 1945. The United States um, banned people, well, they banned the production of automobiles for private use. So there were no cars built for private use for three years, 42 to 45, because they're obviously building tanks. They had a poster campaign saying, if you are driving alone, you are driving with Hitler. 
absolutely fantastic wartime mobilisation by the United States. So growing up in post-war London, I grew up with all these stories about the American productive capacity. And Wade Davis, who I assume is about my age, um, has obviously got the same sort of cultural memories of what America used to be like. And he then contrasts that situation with what we have now uh, in the United States, that in a sense, the United States never did stand down the troops from 1945. American troops are now deployed in 150 countries. Remember, um, one of my favourite statistics, in 1940, the army of Greece was larger than the army of the United States. That was in 1940. Following year, you get Pearl Harbour. And then today, the American military-industrial complex, as President Eisenhower called it, has resulted in troops deployed in 150 countries. There are only 200 countries in the world. 150 of them host American troops. Um, and since the 1970s, China, has, well, he says, has not gone once to war. They certainly had border skirmishes, but the United States has not spent a day at peace. President Jimmy Carter recently noted that its 242-year history of colonial history America has only enjoyed 16 years of peace, making it, he wrote, the most warlike nation in the, in the world. So what we see then is that World War II was a turning point. America created this massive industrial output, which, which helped win the war, very key factor, but then never fully demilitarized. They never went back to where they were. They created, as President Eisenhower called it, a military industrial complex. And also, you've had a dramatic increase of violence at home. On D-Day, June the 6th, 1944, which was the Allied invasion of Europe, the Allied death toll was 4,400. Last year, domestic gun violence killed that many American men and women by the end of April. So you actually <laughs> safer on the beaches of Normandy, statistically speaking, than trying to live in the United States. By June of that year, June of 2019, guns in the hands of ordinary Americans had caused more casualties than the Allies suffered in Normandy in the first month of a campaign that consumed the military strength of five nations. So what we see then is the beginning of the crumbling of America. Now, there's a more general point here that empires die through suicide rather than murder. By that I mean that you see this rise and fall of empires, Spanish, Portuguese, Dutch, French, British, and now perhaps the United States. A fellow called Kennedy, uh, an English historian based in the United States now, has actually talked about the rise and fall of great powers and how they go through a particular cycle. And the argument is that the United States now is going through that cycle. And we'll come to this in just a minute, but the thought that I want you to ponder is when the demise started, because everyone would like to say it was Trump. But let's talk about that in a moment. You're listening to Global Truth with Dr. Keith Suda. We're talking about the demise of America today because back in the 1940s, you know, it became the world power and it did that through industrialization and it was pumping out cars and all sorts of things that were of use to the world. Uh, but it, it, it it's not there anymore. And 
It's a country that's rife with conflict at the moment. We've got coronavirus. There hasn't been a strong response there. One of the worst affected worlds. They are the worst affected world. Mm. Uh, race riots. Uh, Keith, it's a bit of a mess. And what we wanted to talk about was that, you know, as you just said, most great countries have had rises and falls or the empires have. Mm. When do we go back to, when do we see America starting to lose its influence in the world? Because as much as some people would like to think it is Trump, it probably happened before that, you would think. Yes, and I agree with Barack Obama, who says that Trump is a symptom and not a cause. Mm. Um, And so what one sees, and the way Davis argues that, in fact, at the root of this transformation, this decline, is an over-widening gap between Americans who have and those who have little or nothing. So various surveys, even before the coronavirus crisis came along, showed that you know perhaps 30 40% of Americans could not find something like $500 or $1,000 if they needed to make an emergency payment. In other words, they're living from paycheck to paycheck or one pension check to one pension check. If you go to a fast food outlet in the United States, you'll find older Americans shuffling around waiting on tables because they just they have to go back to work. They have to keep working because they don't have adequate um, what, we, what we would call superannuation or pension. They may get a bit of money out of the American government, but not all that much. So if you go back to America in 1945, the most respected country in the world, or at least in the Western world, the Russians might have an alternative point of view. And so it was a, a society uh, which had been transformed by the Depression. So you get the Depression of the 1930s and President uh, Franklin Roosevelt became president in 1932 and he then started this transformation. He invented what we call the modern presidency. In other words, the president will be a much more active person in American politics rather than somebody who would just preside over the nature uh, over the nation, which is where the word president came from in George Washington's day. So Roosevelt said, Congress is not working. I'm going to put through legislation. So he introduced high rates of taxation, tried to introduce all sorts of other welfare reforms, Civilian Conservation Corps, all these things that went in in the 1930s. And then, of course, mobilized America for war in World War II. Uh, And so by 1950, America had a flourishing society. It was hardly damaged directly by the war. There was very little bombing of American soil. Some Japanese balloon bombs reached America, but not much damage was done. So the nation's infrastructure was being rebuilt, um, not because of bomb damage, but just to modernise and to catch up with the fact not much had happened since 1942. So they had this uh, spending spree. They created great educational standards. And the marginal tax rates for the wealthy were at 90%. <laughs> This is under President Eisenhower. So this is a Republican president who, by the way, would not be eligible to join today's Republican Party. Mm-mm. It's worth bearing in mind, by the way, that in 1956, when Eisenhower was running for president, 40% of people of colour who voted, voted Republican. Wow. Yeah. So wow. that's a whole story in itself, looking at how the Republican Party lost that uh, solid black support. But then so gained... Again, all the white racists, yeah. Mm. So that's a separate story. So, you know, America had, in economic terms, a country in the 1950s that resembled Denmark in the way that Denmark looks today in terms of a welfare state, etc. Today, the base pay for those at the top is commonly 400 times that of the salaried staff. 
with many more earning orders of magnitude in stock options and perks. So we're seeing now this huge gap between the rich and the poor. A fifth of American households have zero or negative net worth, a figure that rises to 37% for black families. And the vast majority of Americans, white, black and brown, are two paychecks removed from bankruptcy. So as you can imagine, the current coronavirus crisis and people getting laid off is exacerbating that crisis. That's why I say that coronavirus crisis is accelerating. Trends are already invisible or already visible, already existed, but making them travel along faster. Now, he would argue that it was the fact that it wasn't COVID-19 that ruined America. It was simply revealed what had long been forsaken. As the crisis unfolded, with another American dying every minute of every day, a country that once produced fighter planes by the hour could not manage to produce the paper masks or cotton swabs essential for tracking the, the COVID disease. So the deindustrialization of America, the nation that defeated smallpox and polio and led the world for generations in medical innovation and discovery, was reduced to a laughing stock as a buffoon of a president advocated the use of household disinfectants as a treatment for a disease. So what we're seeing then has been this transformation. So yes, you can certainly blame Trump, but the, the rot started decades ago and has just been built up over the years, particularly with um, the, what's called the Reagan Revolution. Uh, Reagan um, was a former Hollywood star who was a brilliant communicator. And now we're back into that era. Ronald Reagan is interesting because Reagan managed to realign the Republican Party. It was a brilliant piece of communication on his part, transformed uh, America to becoming, emphasising that no one today owes anything to anyone. It's a society of individuals. You just can look out for number one. Uh, the meek might inherit the earth. They're not going to get the mineral rights. So you live in a society where you look out for number one. And this, and then of course, in Britain, that's called Thatcherite economics. And she, of course, transformed Britain when she became prime minister in 1979. So what we're seeing then is a country that is basically a failed state because everybody is so busy looking after themselves. They're not really helping their neighbours very much. Um, and he says here, how can the rest of the world expect America to lead on global threats like climate change, the extinction crisis, pandemics, when the country itself no longer has a sense of purpose or collective well-being, even within its own national community? So we see, therefore, the crumbling of America. Yes, you can blame Trump, but he didn't cause this. Trump came along after decades of changes within the political culture of the United States. It'll be on Trump's watch that we see so much of the collapse being accelerated, but he didn't start it. So how, where to from here then? What would have to happen? Let's end on that note because I think that's quite poignant. What, what needs to happen to... What, what, what needs to change for this to stop happening, for, their, for this slide downwards to stop? I don't think you can. I'm sorry to be so pessimistic. I agree with Wade Davis. It's a gloomy situation. I'm not expecting any great improvement under a President Joe Biden. He represents the Wall Street interests. They're the corporation power. The vice president, Kamala Harris, will represent, she's the senator from Silicon Valley. Now, one of the big challenges for the United States today is to break up the corporations. They did that 130 years ago with the big oil corporations. They broke them up. 
But today, the corporations fang, as Facebook, Apple, Netflix, Google, etc., they are the ones who have so much corporate power, but no, no big politician is willing to take them on. Those that speak against them, Senator Sanders uh, and, of course, Ser- Senator Elizabeth Warren, they do not get traction within the Democrat Party, which is owned by the corporations. So that's the tragedy of it. And the warning I give to people who are anti-American is that when America collapses and China takes over, you'll be wishing you had the United States back. The Chinese are flourishing with their concentration camps for the Uyghurs, etc. They're going to be treating the world differently. So I think there'll come a time when we will have a nostalgia for America running the world. Dr. Keith, enlightening and scary. (laughs) (laughs) This has been Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app. 